There's nothing like snook hook sets at dawn or catching a tarpon in the moonlight. Find your next fishing trip made easy on fishingbooker.com and experience the magic of the Sunshine State or any other destination on your fishing bucket list. Book a blue water adventure in search of sailfish or go snapper fishing with the kids. With over 6,000 captains and trips to choose from, planning your next one just got a whole lot easier. Download the Fishing Booker app on the Google Play or App Store or visit them online at fishingbooker.com to book your trip today. You need parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. Auto Parts. You ever get that feeling the walls closing in, the concrete jungle suffocating you? You crave some wide open spaces, the chance to connect with nature, maybe in a spot all your own. Well, head over to land.com. They've got ranches, forests, mountains, streams, you name it. Search by acreage. You can search by location. You can search by the kind of hunting and fishing you're dreaming of. Land.com. It is where the adventure begins. They bite because they're hungry, and testicles sit nicely in their mouth. Seriously. <laughs> these guys couldn't have stripped any harder if they'd been fueled on cocaine. Move on to the next plug if you just start now. You know, it's going to take you a few years. It's not freaking internet overnight shit. I'm sure I missed a couple fish die-off catastrophes, and if I missed one of the ones in your area... Let us know where you're not catching fish anymore. Good morning, Degenerate Anglers, and welcome to Ben, to the fishing podcast that you insist wasn't as big as you thought it was the second it snaps your line because you were high-sticking. I'm Joe Cermelli. I'm Miles Nolte, and I, I appreciate that intro very much. Thank you. Because <laughs> it, if there's one constant in the, the angling community among us anglers, and I don't care who you are, what you fish for, or how you fish, or whatever, how long you've been doing it, we all lie. And we particularly lie when we lose fish. Absolutely. It's just something that we do. Absolutely, and I, dude, I can take it another. I can take it a step further. Like, um, in, in many respects, you don't even have to hook it. Like, how many times have you been fishing? <laughs> right. At least I do that. You get hit. You botch it for whatever reason, and somebody else on the boat sees it happen and goes, "Did you just get bit?" And the reaction is so often, uh, yeah, yeah, it was a little fish, though. It's a little one. It's a little guy, a little 12-incher. But, like, it could have been a 20-inch brown, and you know it, and you're still really? going to say that. Yeah, that's, that's yeah, I that's kind of my no, move. <laughs> I, that's interesting, because, like, to if I'm being honest here, and I usually mm-hmm. am, I go the other way. Like, any so? fish that, because any fish that I lose or miss are monsters. Well, to clarify, huge. I, I, I might have lost a monster. I'm just saying I never see No, no, it. but like in my mind, that's what I tell myself and others who are around okay. me if I don't <laughs> catch the fish. Okay. <laughs> I, and I don't, like, I, I think it's partially because I get so jacked. Like if I, not if it's a dink, right? I'm not saying like I turn sure. a four incher in, into a, a trophy, but if I hook a good fish, my mind will just 
conjure an image. Like I'm, I'm, I, I get this image of, of something that's much larger than what's actually mm. on the line. Oftentimes when I think I've got a good one and I do land it, right? Like, like I superimpose the image of the fish <laughs> that I want to be fighting onto the fish that right. I'm actually fighting. And if I land right. it, the fantasy's out the window. It's gone. It's shattered. <laughs> but if I lose it, I get to hold on to that fantasy. And that remains wow. the biggest fish anyone in the boat has ever seen. Wow, that's see, that's interesting. See, because this is where we differ. Like where 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 your like hopeful optimism crashes into my my pervasive cynicism. Okay, <laughs> this is what happens. Okay, so so you get all juiced up and imagined greatness. I'm just yeah. assuming the worst all the time. But it's like this. It generally <laughs> happens when I'm fishing with other people. Like I, it only works. Like I need witnesses, and I swear it's almost like involuntary. But I think it happens more out of anger and embarrassment than anything. Because when I lose a fish, like, and I know it's a big one, I just want to move on. Like I'm inside, I'm seething, oh. and I don't really, I don't really. So feel you know like it's big. Yeah, like I'm saying, like that's 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 my point. Like you have like a fish come up and flash your streamer, and like yeah. somebody else on the boat sees that line go dink, and they're like, "Oh, did you, you get bit?" And like you were sleeping on it or whatever it is, right? And it's like, son of a bitch, that was 22 inch brown. Like I'm like, yeah, it was a little one, because I don't really feel like dissecting, like why that just happened and how I just f***ed that up. I just want to move on. Like huh. I don't want to dwell on it. So my gut is not to be like, oh, that was a freaking giant. Because then, you know, people are like, well, why didn't you, you should have done this? Or why didn't you strip them? Or like, why didn't fair. you pause? I just want to move on, you know? You you painted mine as optimistic. and But I I, I think <laughs> my way is just as much an ego thing as what you're talking about. Like, I want okay. everyone in the boat, including myself, to think I just hooked mega. <laughs> that they missed, right? Like, they didn't get mega. I did, even if I, even if I missed it, right? I see it that way, too. Yeah. I can, this is true. I remember the details of big fish I lost down to every little iota of the weather, where I was, what I was eating. I can go back more than 30 years and recount exact stories of big fish I lost. Those ones, they stick with me. Sure. I think, I think the, the story that encapsulates the point that we're talking about right now, I, I was fishing the Yellowstone with my closest fishing buddy at the time. And the conditions, it was one of those days where you just, you knew big trout were going to get caught, yeah. right? You know, we were on the ass end of runoff and the water was high, but it was dropping and it had that yeah. emerald green, like the, the mm, oh, that beautiful delicious. green color. Mm, uh-huh. Yeah. And the flow was like, it was high. It was ripping. So all the fish were pushed into the soft water on the banks, the big fish and the little fish. And when that's going on, I mean, mm. you know what's happening. The big fish are just yep. chowing on all those little fish because they got no place to hide. And we were doing well on this particular day. Like we were consistently getting solid fish, but we hadn't got the fish we were after. And the one we knew we could get mm-hmm. that day, it was just one of those days. Mm-hmm. And I, I made this perfect cast into the soft pocket and I just got slammed. Right. right. I, I was fly fishing this time. I was throwing streams. I was throwing a nine weight for trout and I wow. could not turn this fish. Bold. Uh, it was a big, heavy, sink tip, giant, giant streamer. And like I got slammed and I could not turn it. Takes off straight upstream. I'm fight I fight it for like I fought it for a good 30 seconds before the hook pulled. Now, I never saw that fish. Right. It is very possible that I gaffed a 16 incher right in the side, and that thing turned into the current and just dragged me, right? But that's not the story that I tell <laughs> anybody else who was there or myself or, or you right now. Because in my mind, I know. <sighs> I had a 30-inch brown. 
That's oh, I just dude. This whether is, it's true or not, this is this is too good, right? This is too funny because the story I have, man, it is exactly like that. But I came to the exact opposite conclusion, right? <laughs> so I was mousing for Browns at night with my buddy Joe Demodaris, who's been on the show several times, and man, it was it was a really slow night. Like we went miles without touching a fish, and you know what happens when that happens? Mm-hmm. Like you start to start to like zone out a little bit. Um, and then out of nowhere, just when you start to zone out, you get jacked. And that's exactly what happened to me. And just like your story, I swung on this fish and I could not move it. I just could not move mm-hmm. it. And I was only fishing a six weight, I think. And this fish, it gave me three big head shakes, but I don't know how to describe them other than wide. Like it wasn't mm-hmm. like a fish just like, like jiggling its head real fast, like a little shaker. Like this was like a wall, wall, wall. And it's pulsing the friggin' rod. And I got, I got these few shakes out of it, and then the fly pulled. And I instantly go, that was really weird. I wonder if that was a foul-hooked fish, right? <laughs> I just, and I, I knew darn well it wasn't, but I just went to the instant downplay. Also, advantage, because it's dark, so it's like, how much did Joe rowing behind <laughs> me really see, it. right? Couldn't have seen what just happened right then and there. And Joe D, who keeps it real always, was just like, no, that was a giant-ass brown trout that you just lost. <laughs> So same story. Uh, nearly <laughs> identical stories, really. D- different mindset. Totally opposite <laughs> different <conclusions>. reaction. <laughs> <laughs> I, I will say I'm convinced, however, that either of us were throwing a Poppy McPop face from 13 Fishing. <laughs> Those fish would have stayed pinned because them probably, is sticky. Probably, yes, but then I wouldn't have been mousing or fly fishing. But I can True. attest to the sharpness of the hooks on that particular popo. Also sharp. Is our ability to just work in a plug for our sponsor, 13 Fishing. Bam! Just like that. Uh, we talk a lot about 13 rods and reels, but you uh, you should you should not forget their lures. We have mm-hmm. in the aforementioned and and beautifully named Poppy McPopface. Uh, it's just, no kidding, it's just a well-made, just badass, all-around popper. I'm a big fan of the uh, clear perch pattern for smallies. Hmm. So. I have not thrown that one. I'm going to have to get that, uh, that in the arsenal. And I'm glad mm-hmm. to know there's a fish out there that you still know how to land. I the old spot those are you. okay. Two trebles, but I was going to say, mean, put a treble know. on it and you can get them in. Because <laughs> apparently we both suck at landing big trout. But personal shortcomings aside, it's, it is appropriate that you brought up night fishing for trout because that's what's happening in the story we've got for Smooth Moves this week. Uh, this is a part of the show where we let guides and captains and shop kids and anyone else in the fishing industry tell us tales of dumb shit their clients have done. And we're bringing back our good friend and Ozark Trout guru, Steve Daly. Yes. Makes you (laughs) you feel any better. At least you got the chance to like feel those three head shakes. You got Mm -hmm. the connection with your giant night brown for a few seconds. Because the the, the doofus and the saga we're all about to hear, he never got that chance. Why did you do that? Why? Why did you do that, Terry? Oh, my God. Back again is the 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 man, the myth, the legend, the infamous Steve Daly, who it's been too long since we've actually talked, Steve. Uh, I don't know how long ago it was that we had last had you on, but whatever it was, it was too long. You've been too busy, like, making money or whatever. Uh, yeah, taking people fishing, rowing down rivers. Yeah, right. So you've been, you've been out collecting Smooth Moves stories about stupid shit that's been going on and and... and Supposedly, you have a great one for us. 
So yeah, I th- I think we need to explain that like as busy as as Steve is, like you came to us. You were like, I need, I have to tell this story. So this has got to be like, it's got to be a good one. Okay, so I've had these two reprobates in the boat that I know quite well, and they've conned me into taking them night fishing because it is going to be, it has the prospects. There's some rising water coming after dark and there was an unusual water pattern that we don't usually get. Anyway, we've got in at dark and it's a beautiful evening, floating on, get down the river, the sun's setting, it's all picturesque and we start fishing. And there's, there's one instruction I'm trying to give all night because some buggers aren't listening is slow down. Like that's the, it's always been the key for me. You get out there and you think, hey, I'm going to catch a big fish. It's, it's all going to happen. And the adrenaline and cast, I'm going to cast more, cast more, cast more, cast more. That's what we're doing. And it's like slow down and slow down and repetitive, mind-numbingly repetitive instruction from the guide sitting there in the oars. <clears throat> so we've managed to go along. We've poked up and the fishing's not great partly because they can't actually track down the flies. They're coming back at the speed of sound. And, and <laughs> seriously, these guys couldn't have stripped any harder if they'd been fueled on cocaine, all right? <laughs> so we've got down, and the night's gone, and we've got one small brown that fell, that stupidly swam into the fly, and we've got you know a few rainbows that you barely want to talk about. And we've got down to the end, and, and seriously, they've almost worn out the beer. There's one beer left on the boat as we come back to the last little rock shelf and there's a little bit of turbulent water on the downstream side and it's like, well, we're going to pull up here and it, this is my last shot, right? The, the boat ramps are 75 yards away. I'm trying to get these guys in a fish because I'd really like to see them catch a good fish for at least the effort. I mean, they've packed a little on their fingers out stripping. Um, <laughs> did I mention they should slow down again? <laughs> this is about how the conversation's going and we're sitting there on this edge and, and just like they've just whipped it through and you know it's basically a swing just stay in contact with that fly and let it happen wait for the bump and finally one of them sits down and says i'm done i'm gonna have the last beer and the other one in the back's just like i think he's tangled up or something stupid <laughs> <laughs> and i did the stupid thing i said let me have that right let me have five gas. Uh, I know. And it's a boat ramp fish. I'm bored, right? <laughs> <laughs> I've been trying to work out how I'm going to tell these guys. And it's like, just spin the evening out for another 15 minutes. Let's go have spaghetti bolognese and a couple, couple of glasses of red wine and, you know, in, enjoy the evening. And I make three casts. And the second one, I feel this tap. And it's like, ooh, and I don't say anything in the third, third cast. Whap, hits it, set into it. Uh, it comes back, and because it's night fishing, it comes back like a log too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They don't pull that hard, and seemingly at night. And this thing just I comes. W- up. I want to talk about that when you're done, but that's Ooh. interesting. You bring that up. I've noticed that too. Like they don't fight at night. No, they don't fight at night. Not like not like at daytime. And then you know we shine the light over the side, and here's a 27 inch fish. Oh. And I'm like, now I'm feeling really bad. The boys are actually quite excited because it's the first fit, decent fish they've seen all night. And for the fact that their idiot guide has swung the rod. Uh, Joe, man, you know the saddest part of the old story? What? You know, you know who the idiot burned the fly's name was? No. My, Miles Bloody Nolte. 
Wait a minute. I'm, Stop. I'm, this was all about you? Yeah, it was. This was all about me. This is my smooth move in Dally's boat. Because here's the thing. Like we're talking smooth moves. We've all done them. Guide, not guide, whatever. Journalist, photographer, we've all done that stupid shit. And that's the yeah, that's, but isn't that wait. the glory of fly fishing? <laughs> you took a whole night float in Arkansas and just burned your flies all night long? Oh, absolutely. Uh, look, I will I will I will admit <laughs> I will admit to having to do this. I, I should also say this is purely an act of hubris because at that time I was at the height of my guiding career. I really felt like I was dialed into the streamer scene in my local waters. And so I was fishing it the way I knew was going to work on the big brown trout for me. And Dally kept saying like, you know, you might want to slow down. And I'm, I'm like, I know how to catch big brown trout. Like I know how to fish streamers, dude. Like I appreciate it, but I know how to do this. Oh, and I would man. not listen until he literally said, well, let me have a crack at it. Took three casts and stuck a 27 right in front of me. It was, it was one of those, it was one of those times I will never forget. Cause I, I, I had to take that humility pill to recognize that even if I think I know this, the, the, the situation that I know the style of fishing that I know the fish, I don't necessarily know it everywhere. And I was wrong. It's fascinating to me though, because I feel like that's a lack of, it's not trout fishing ability. It's like night fishing ability. Cause everything you do, like even stripers, like you're throwing a black plug at night. It's like, how do I reel that? Like pain, like everything is slow. Like I feel like that's any predator fishing at night. Slow is the way to go. So was that was that like a? Had you not night fished much then? I mean, I've, I've had I have night fished, but not nearly as much as you two guys. I think that's true. You don't the the rivers around here are not necessarily safe to float at night because big water. I feel like I need to reciprocate and now like dig up a guide who can smooth moves me because I know that they're out there. Oh, yeah, I, this took me way off guard. At what point in the story did you realize this was about you? I imagine as soon as oh, you started I, telling I set it. this up, dude. Oh, you set this up? <laughs> of course I did. Oh, well, don't I feel like a horse's ass? No, it worked perfectly. <laughs> Do you think this was funny, though? I think it's hysterical. But at the end of the day, this is a lesson about smooth moves. Seriously, this is this is not about just customers. We just get to get the stories because we see more of them. It's about stupid people doing stupid shit when they're fishing. When it comes down to it, and that's the that's the joy because you know I get people in my boat all the time who are newcomers and go, yeah, and it's like you don't need to be any good to love this game and have a great time. Right? Truly. I hope that every story I tell about clients, it's because I love those clients and I love those moments because they're really funny. Doesn't mean I don't like them. That's the thing about this game. We all screw this up all the time. Exactly. And embracing our own screw-ups and being able to laugh at them with our buddies is half the fun of fishing. What a twist mm. man for everyone listening no joke i honestly had no idea that was going to be a story about miles i was like i was genuinely surprised and i gotta gotcha. hand it to you man that was that was very well played beautifully thank played thank you mm -hmm. thank you i was i yes. will i will say i was proud of that idea when it came to me uh when i was not sleeping one night i was like i gotta do this because we <laughs> we dog on all these random strangers in segment right and, and most we of them do. most of them probably deserve it but it's not like you or I are above criticism, right? Nope. <laughs> we we did that whole show a couple of weeks ago about flexing and fishing. And sometimes sometimes it's easy to flex when you're the guide. 
And this mm-hmm. goes for paid mm-hmm. guides and informal guides. Like anytime you're in that kind of role of, of leading, you're on your home water, you know what's going on, and you get to sit there and critique someone else's fishing. But you never actually have to fish yourself. Yep. Right? And and when I get thrust out of my comfort zone and I have to be the angler on someone else's boat on their water, not knowing exactly what I'm doing, there's a good chance I'm going to screw it up. And I admit yeah. that. I learned from it, but I screw it up. I commend you. I commend you. I thought I was burying my soul talking about downplaying the size of some fish I goofed, uh, but that was next level. So good on you. Um, anyway, let's find out uh, who our audio engineer Phil is going to commend this week. Following the Battle Royale, we tend to sometimes, now and again, refer to as fish news. <laughs> fish news! That escalated quickly. So we mentioned last week that we'd be unveiling a, a pretty significant contest this week, more significant mm-hmm. than the, the previous contest. And if you subscribe to the Fishing Weekly newsletter, and we hope that you do, you, should. Um, you, you already know what's up, okay? You've got the inside track. But for those of you that don't, pay attention because um, one of you is going to get to be on bent with me and Miles. That is correct. Yes, sir. One lucky winner. One very, very lucky winner. Super lucky. Get to, so lucky. He's going <laughs> to get to record a smooth move segment with us. Yep. It, it's it's going to be remote. We're not like, you're not going to fly out to sit in Joe's home <laughs> office or my spare bedroom slash office slash uh, child <laughs> playroom. But we do want to record your story about the most idiotic, insane, funny, crazy, or just what the f- thing you've ever seen or done while out fishing. That's right. And to sweeten the pot, uh, said winner will also get him or herself a swag pack of uh, meat eater fishing apparel and stickers. Plus, we'll throw in some bent stickables because that's what we mm-hmm. do. Uh, but I mean, the bigger payout is obviously the 15 minutes of quasi semi fame, if you'd call it Pseudo-fame. that. Uh, for for you in the yeah, for you in the world of degenerate anglers. So it's true. All your other degenerates will be jealous. To enter all you got to do is go to themeateater.com slash get bent. All right. Follow the instructions. Share your story. You, you, you can write as much as you want. You could. I'm going gi- to give you a little <laughs> hint here. We are into the whole brevity thing. We are. Less is more. So give us the gist. Give us, give us the lure, the hook, whatever, whatever you want to call it. Uh, this contest is open to everyone. But you bent diehards know what we like. And you know yes. how to get our attention. So we're, yes. we're privileging you. You do. You do. And you've got until July 19th to enter and get our attention. We'll uh, pick a winner. Miles and I are doing the picking, of course, shortly after that. And uh, set up a time to record with you, which is seriously very easy and chill. Like, it's not so a big, easy. scary production. Anyone nope. can do it. You nope. know? So don't nope. worry. You don't need a microphone. You don't need. Nope. You, 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 bear, you just need to be able to talk and tell a good story. We'll do the yes. rest. Yes. And we'll all hang out, we'll crack a beer, we'll shoot the shit digitally for a bit. It's going to be good times. Yep. You know what else, though, is a really good time? Hmm. Drinking beer or other beverages with our, our audio engineer, Phil. He's just such a, <laughs> such a cool, fun, hilarious, uh. handsome person. <laughs> and and I'm, I'm, I'm not just saying that because Fish News is a competition where Joe and I do not know which stories the other guys bring to the table, and that Phil will pass judgment on us at the end. That's I'm, I'm saying it because I mean it, Phil, <laughs> from the bottom of my heart. So it's your lead this week, man. Uh, what do you got? Have at it. 
Yeah. Okay. You weren't saying any of that to get on Phil's good side. No. Got it. Nope. Check. Nothing. All right. So uh, maybe Phil will uh, enjoy a feel-good story that I'm starting with here. Um, and this one comes to us from the Washington Post. All right. Headline. WAPO. WAPO. Right. Headline, when the pandemic closed this Maryland school, he saved the trout. Okay. It's a funky one. Right. I saw so, this one. I saw this uh, okay. one. Okay. I, I like this one. So. I'm sure some of you guys are aware of the program called Trout in the Classroom. Miles, I know you, you've heard of this. So it's run yep. by Trout Unlimited. Um, and what they do is provide schools with tanks, filters, water chillers, food, and about 100 fertilized rainbow trout eggs. And the kids get to raise trout at school, right? And um, they tend to get these setups in the December, and the kids care for the trout. And by May... The fish are usually about two inches long, and just before school lets out, the part of the fun is they release these fingerlings into a local stream. Um, and just in case, Sister Helen Loretta, the principal at Incarnation School, where I went, is listening, where were you on this one, okay? Because this is amazing, and I'd have been all about it. We were only ever given rosary beads and told to sit quietly and let the Holy Spirit grow within our hearts. Um, so anyway, the fifth graders at Westbrook Elementary School in Bethesda, Maryland, were all set up to raise their trout. And then the pandemic hit. And needless to say, uh, nobody was particularly concerned about the fate of those trout, except, of course, for one man, Malik Walker, the school's services manager. All right. Now, being uh, a pretty avid angler and seeing that he was only one of a very few people that had access to the school on a daily basis through the entire lockdown, he decided he was going to care for these trout. But this ended up becoming like quite the undertaking and learning experience for Walker because he he admits in the story that while he's caught plenty of fish, he's he's never raised them. Okay. So mm. according to the story, um, about 50 fish died in the first two weeks, mostly because they're apparently jumpers and the little little trout would leap out of the tank. So, you know, he secured the lid. That was kind of step one. And then then dude just went on YouTube to figure out like, okay, what do I like, do next? As you for do this whenever That's you, what you run do. into a question. Any problem, days. it's on YouTube, yep. right? And for a while, it was fine. He fed the trout and figured out the proper tank cleaning schedule and all that stuff. But eventually, the food, the provided food, ran out. So what did he do? On a weekly basis, he would, like, hunt down spiders and crickets and grubs and anything he thought would fit in those tiny trout mouths. Okay? Good on him. So yeah. now the school year ends. Now it's summer. And before you know it, it's fall. And remember, the kids usually release the trout at two inches. Well, uh, Walker did lose a lot of trout along the way, but by December 2020, a full year after the eggs arrived, he had 15-foot-long rainbow trout. And listen, while I realize that's not many compared to the starting number of eggs the school had, that's impressive when you understand how delicate trout are. Like, they it's are true. extremely difficult to raise and keep in captivity. Everything has to be perfect. So that's quite an impressive feat. Uh, anyway, so then last December, they finally, they transferred the, the remaining trout to coolers, and uh, some of the students got to go help release those fish into the Pawtuxet River. But Walker did not go because he got what? attached to his trout. He was too sad. Oh. And in the story, he even said... That's, that's heartwarming. Yeah. He even said he's kind of giving up on, on freshwater fishing now and only targeting saltwater fish because he bonded with those 15 trout. <laughs> now, 
I could be a sicko and point out that Walker's rainbows are at least going to taste like more than a wet paper towel because they've at least been eating natural forage instead of the Frisky's cat food like all the other stockers, but I won't. I won't say that, okay, because for Walker's sake, uh, I really hope none of his 15 trout have already been run through with a Wonder Boner. <laughs> Finn, end end of news story. (laughs) I did not see that coming. You you threw me. That's it. That's Uh, all I got. What do you? You you really knocked me off balance with the Wonder Boner. Uh, Yeah, that's what they do. You know. You know. I I think it's a very heartwarming story. Yeah, it's cool. uh, I I don't know about his. I don't know how he came to the conclusion that like well. Freshwater fish are now friends, but saltwater fish remain the foe. I, I don't quite get that, thing. but he'll you know, still look a striper works. in the eyes before he yep. clubs it. You know what I mean? Sure, whatever, whatever you got to do <laughs> to get through the day. And I'll, I will say that I appreciate like the upbeat, positive, heartwarming. You know, like what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, human interest. Yes. Aspect you took to lead off today's news, and I am going to go. The opposite direction entirely. Not interested in humans at all. No, no one's going to be happy and feel good at the end of this story. <laughs> okay. And I, right. I will say that this week I'm doing something a little different. Joe doesn't know this yet. He's finding out too. I noticed a theme when doing my fish news research this week. So what I'm doing is instead of doing two stories, uh, I, I just decided to gather a whole bunch of related stories into one big story. Oh, so radio I'm, roundup. I'm doubling down with uh, with one giant fish news roundup. And, okay. uh, you know, the main takeaway that I got from the reading I did this week is that uh, I'm, I'm glad I'm not a fish in 2021. All right. uh, you know, 2020 might have been a shitty year to be a person, but 2021 is shaping up to be a just exceptionally shitty year for fish. Hmm. I'm. I'm sure that you have heard about or are living through the unusually hot, dry weather that's roasting most of the country this summer. Mm-hmm. Well, for us, right, that means we, we might have to spend our days mainlining AC and just facing pints of ice cream for health reasons. You know, for your health, to cool off. <laughs> for your health. <laughs> for your health. But for fish, the stakes are somewhat higher. If you go on on the interwebs right now and you search fish kill, you will find a disturbing oh, yeah. litany of oh, news yeah. stories. Yep. So in the interest of keeping you all informed, I'm just going to give an overview of, of the, the fishy death and destruction going on moving from west to east. Phil, this needs a soundbite right here or something. Something, some kind of something doom impending death. Ominous, yeah. yes. Good. Surprise us. Marion, don't look at it. Shut your eyes, Marion. Don't look at it no matter what happens. You did! Don't look, Marion! Keep your eyes shut! The Klamath River flows along the Oregon-California border and was once a thriving salmon and steelhead fishery. The Klamath River Basin is currently experiencing extreme and exceptional drought, the worst in four decades. While I'm going to focus on the fish and fisheries aspect of this story, agriculture in the area will also be decimated again this year 
So let's hold that too. Salmon in the Klamath have been struggling for decades, in part due to a parasitic disease called C. Shasta, which has become a significant problem due to the combination of lower water, warmer temperatures, a lower water table, and the impacts of dams. The parasite can kill salmon of all age classes when concentrations reach a high enough level, and right now, the concentrations are extremely high. This year, the fish kill began in early May, and now 97% of juvenile coho and Chinook salmon are testing positive for the parasite. Mm. 70% of the observed juvenile fish have died. The parasite is predicted to completely wipe out an entire year class of fish whose numbers have already plummeted in the past two generations. You need to get Malik Walker out there on that real quick. He'll, he'll hook him up. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Uh, moving over to Montana, the famed Madison River, which I have fished probably more than any other body of water in the country, experienced an acute die-off of whitefish, trout, and suckers amid water temps soaring into the mid-70s in mm. June. Yeah, it's a bit early for that. bit early yeah. for that for you guys. Yeah. Anglers also reported seeing brown trout with the telltale white markings of the saprolenia fungus, which is sometimes referred to as cotton molds. You know what I'm talking about? Because it, mm-hmm. it looks like yes. the infected fish have these like billowy white cotton bits I've hanging off that. their skin. It's, yep. It's, it's not good. The fungus can be fatal, especially when fish experience other stressors like elevated water temps. Montana Fish, Wildlife, and Parks instituted what are known as hoot owl restrictions early this year on the lower Madison, meaning that anglers cannot fish from 2 p.m. to midnight. A string of consistently warm summers has greatly diminished the trout population on that stretch of the river, especially brown trout, whose numbers are at 50% of the 20-year average. I will not be fishing the lower Madison at all, no matter yeah. what time it is, until temps get below 65 degrees, and, and I hope that other people will consider doing the same. Crossing over into Minnesota, the DNR is reporting piles of dead fish washing up on the shores of some lakes across the northern part of the state and even into the Minneapolis suburbs. According to Tom Burry, a limnologist who works for the Minnesota DNR, quote, this is a rare occurrence. We have such extreme drought conditions right now. Burry also said that rapidly warming water temperatures are putting stress on fish and making them more susceptible to infections. Cruising on down to Kansas City. Bush Creek lost an estimated 52,000 fish so far this summer after oxygen levels dropped to one part per million, which, according to the local fish biologist Jake Kolauer, is lethal to nearly every fish. Mm. For context, five parts per million is considered good oxygen saturation for most warm water fish in the summer. The vast majority of the fish that died were sunfish, but common and silver carp also went belly up, and if Carper dying. Yeah, that's not good. You know it's bad. That's not good. Yeah. While fish kills happen nearly every summer in this creek, this year is the worst coal hours ever seen. To be fair, though, this is an urban paved water system. So while it's concerning, it it's it's not the tragic like right. thing that we're seeing over on right. the Klamath and the Madison. Scooting over to Delaware, two hundred thousand juvenile menhaden died in Rehoboth Bay as a result of low levels of dissolved oxygen. Chris Basin, executive director for the Delaware Center for Inland Bays, describes Rehoboth as a very unhealthy estuary. Miles and miles of concrete canals were cut into the bay to allow for easier boat passage and docking, which destroyed the natural salt marshes, 
whereas those marshes were historically flushed by tidal flow, nutrient and toxin-laden runoff from lawns and agriculture now gets trapped in the canals, which leads to massive fish kills like this one. And finally, we land in Florida, where it seems like fish are dying just about everywhere. Many of Florida's fish are dying for the same reasons as in other parts of the country, lack of dissolved oxygen exacerbated by algal blooms. But while in much of the country, these blooms are being caused by midsummer drought and heat, Florida's algae tends to bloom when rains flush fertilizer into lakes, rivers, estuaries, and bays, and Florida is just starting their rainy season. On the west side, the coastlines north of Tampa Bay are littered with fish carcasses as a red tide moves up out of the bay. An emergency services regional manager told the Tampa Bay Times that his crews were removing 150 cubic feet of fish parts, or mm. enough to fill two commercial dumpsters every day. This red tide and related fish kill have not yet reached the catastrophic levels of 2018, when much of Florida's west coast was coated in dead marine life. But the red tide season's still young. We still might get there. This part of the state hasn't yet received the kind of significant rainfall that usually precipitates a major red tide event, so it's, it's a little confusing. But I have an idea that might explain what's going on. Though researchers are not yet able to make a definitive link, this bloom comes just months after the Piney Point incident we reported on ah, when holding ponds that, at a defunct that, fertilizer that plant thing. Yeah. discharged <laughs> nearly 240 million gallons of wastewater into Tampa Bay, adding the equivalent to about 100,000 bags of fertilizer into the water. And that might have something to do with the red tide bloom. Maybe. Hmm. Sticking with the algal bloom theme over in Boca Raton, 1,000 dead shad washed up on the banks of Sabal Lake. Once again, the culprit here was a lack of dissolved oxygen due to a prolonged drought followed by the season's first rains, which also contributed to a blue-green algae bloom and an outbreak of cyanobacteria around West Palm Beach that's currently threatening the health and safety of public drinking water. And finally... Finishing this doom and gloom story on Florida's East Coast. Please, with a please finish it. <laughs> Just stop. With a report anymore. <laughs> that might not have anything to do with dissolved oxygen. For once, scores of colorful tropical reef fish like triggerfish, parrotfish, and angelfish are washing up on Palm Beach. The exact causes of this fish kill have not been announced, but divers in the area report that water temperatures dropped 20 degrees from the mid-80s to the mid-60s in less than a week. Such erratic shifts are rare, but can happen when winds, currents, and eddies conspire to cause what are known as upwellings. The previous week, a strong current from the north was passing the outer edge of the reef, which may have contributed to the stark temperature change. I'm sure I missed a couple of fish die-off catastrophes, and if I missed one of the ones in your area... Let us know where you're not catching fish anymore. I apologize. There are so many. <laughs> I, I can't keep track of them all. When I was talking to my wife about this, uh, she asked me, she was like, what's, what's your takeaway going to be? And how are you going to make this? Funny? You know, I'm struggling with that myself, but I'll, go ahead. The answer is simple. I'm not. Yeah. Th this really isn't funny. I know. Uh, you, you've like reported, like you're reporting this out of a job is what you're doing. Like yeah. three weeks from now, we'll be like, our news story will be like, we talked to the one guy that caught <laughs> a fish in the United States of America going to him live. I felt the need, like this was such a pervasive theme. I felt the need to just no. 
No, put I'm it out not there. knocking like, you. For, I'm not knocking news, you for man. doing it. This is news, and this this shit is happening. I saw a bunch of these too, and I, I feel like the reason I didn't grab one is because I'm like, well, which one? Like it's yeah. it's all the same thing. But you did it the right way. You did it the journalistic way, and you've covered them all. That does not make it any less depressing. Nope. I don't feel any more excited to do my next story, which is dumb but and funny. Before you go, I have a takeaway. For, I have before one you take too, it away, go ahead. Yeah, uh, I, my 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 my. Go ahead. If you got a takeaway, hit it, man. I, all I was going to say was, look, look, the, the, these droughts and these fish kills are what they are. There's not a ton in the like we can do to stop that right now. But I will say, um, you know, you were talking about the the Madison in particular and them shutting yep. down the fishing there. Um, you know, summer is fishing time. We all love to go fishing in the summer. Everybody does it. That's what we're all about. But I really don't think that enough people pay much mind to fish care when it's hot. You know what I mean? Like that's, and and just very, very quickly, like the last couple of weeks I've been floating the Delaware here with my dad and I've taken my kids out and I've been just taking out this old nasty shad that I had in the freezer and I'm trying to catch channel cats, right? I just want to, we're swimming and having a good time and just like trying to reef on a few channel cats and I can only catch stripers. And it's very late in the summer for there to be as many stripers as there are this side, this size in this part of the river eating shad. And that's great to catch them. But every single one of them, I've had to spend at least five minutes reviving them so that they can swim back to the bottom of this cold run that they're apparently yep. sitting in. You yep. know what I mean? And, yep. you know, looking at that going like, well, man, it's so neat to be doing this this time of year. But I mean, you could physically see it. Like you pull them out of these runs they're sitting in and they're whooped. I mean, that water's yep. 75 degrees now. Um, and I, I think that in general, even with, quote, warm water species, largemouth muskies in particular, pike, muskies. Um, take that extra time. Even if they fought hard, I mean, give them, make sure that they're they're going back, breathing and strong and kicking off on their own, because I don't think we think enough about how hot water affects fish. That's all I got to say. No, your takeaway is very, very similar to mine. Um, and And I think that we all, I think for a long time, I won't speak for other people, but for a long time I sort of felt like, well, summertime is my fishing time, and and that's the time you're you're allowed to fish and supposed to fish. And as I've learned more, especially about cold water species, but warm water species too. Muskie is a good point. Those things are yeah. delicate. I'm learning that, that that that's not actually the case. And that it's incumbent upon me to know the conditions on the plate at the different places where I fish. Right. And make my plans accordingly. Right. So I'm going to change the way I fish this summer, right? For right now, anyway, around me, this part just, just kind of is, is pertinent to me. I'm going to, I'm going to fish way higher up in the systems. I'm going to fish the tiny little creeks and high mountain lakes where it's still cold, right? Instead of the big rivers with the big fish, I'm, I'm going to go, if I want to catch and release, I'm going to go up into the high creeks. Um, and if I do fish those larger rivers and lakes, right, I'm, I'm selectively targeting fish I intend to harvest because that's the way to do it, right? For a while, anyway, catch and release of, of vulnerable species is out for me. And that may sound counterintuitive, but it's just not ethical in a lot no. of places for a lot and, of species. And I, I feel the same way. I'm either going to have to find some new channel cat spots where there's actually channel cats. But, <laughs> you know, I'm fishing these usual places where I know the cats are in the summer and there's just this abundance of stripers there. But I feel bad to the point where, like, I'm like, ah, I should just I'm, I'm going to stop doing that for a while. Yeah. You know what I mean? And just they're yep. there for whatever reason and they're comfortable in this particular run, you know, just just leave them there. Um, and that's the thing I think people don't realize. You Yes, you let that fish go. 
It yeah. swims away. Yeah. But it's not going to survive. Yeah. You just get to avoid the uncomfortable confrontation of the reality of how many fish you're killing, right? So any fish I'm catching in the major rivers, they're going, they're going in the smoker. And once I get all I want to eat that day, I'm going to stop fishing. Yeah. And, yeah. Well. you know, fish earlier in the day. Just pay attention to those. Otherwise, if it's hot, midday, I'm going carp fishing. That's right. what I'm going to do. Right. That's, that's my solution. O'Reilly Auto Parts are in the business of keeping your car on the road. O'Reilly Auto Parts offer friendly, helpful service and the parts knowledge you need for all your maintenance and repairs. If you're confused about what part you need, like what wipers are going to be the best, what replacement headlights are going to be the best, go into O'Reilly and talk to the people that work there because they're great and they're super friendly and they'll get you squared away where you walk out knowing you got the right thing. They've got thousands of parts and accessories in stock, either in-store or online, so you never have to worry if you're in a jam. Do you need your windshield wipers replaced? you need a brake light fixed? you need some quick service? They'll help you find the right part or point you to the nearest local repair shop for help. The professional parts people at O'Reilly Auto Parts are your one-stop shop for all things auto do-it-yourself, and you can find what you need in-store or online. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts today or visit us at O'ReillyAuto.com slash meat eater. That's O'ReillyAuto.com slash meat eater. You ever get that feeling you're stuck inside staring at screens and a primal urge kicks in? You crave wide open spaces, fresh air, the chance to connect with the land. Well, maybe it's time to find your own piece of the wild, but searching for property can be a maze. That's where land.com comes in. They got millions of listings across the country, from mountain ranches to hidden fishing holes. Their search tools are like a seasoned guide helping you narrow down what you want. Land.com isn't just about buying and selling. It's about finding a place to hunt, fish, explore, or simply sit by a campfire and listen to the crickets. So head over to land.com today to turn one day into today because trust me there's nothing quite like the feeling of standing on your own piece of earth there's nothing like snook hook sets at dawn or catching a tarpon in the moonlight find your next fishing trip made easy on fishingbooker.com and experience the magic of the sunshine state or any other destination on your fishing bucket list book a blue water adventure in search of sailfish or go snapper fishing with the kids with over 6,000 captains and trips to choose from, planning your next one just got a whole lot easier. Download the Fishing Booker app on the Google Play or App Store or visit them online at fishingbooker.com to book your trip today. I'm trying to think of a transition here, and I guess we, we can go from... Um, uh, a, a, a a country where where a whole lot of fish are dying to uh, another distant country where where one has just emerged and just one out of nowhere uh, and I also think the story is a complete lie so this is a short and dumb story <laughs> but I flagged it literally because I think it is 100% fabricated I literally think some website or rag paper was short on a story and like threw darts at a board and put them all together and landed on this okay uh, so I grabbed it from perthnow.com and the headline is um, testicle-eating paku fish found lurking in European waters. Now, Testicle-eating paku. Yeah, te- yeah, right. So now, j- just wow. based on that, you might say, okay, maybe. 
because people all over the world dump exotics where they're not supposed to be, right? And Europe, Europe is, is pretty large. It's, fair, it's fairly large. Um, and I mean, there's plenty of places in Europe that could sustain a Paku for a while, at least, especially in summer. Um, and these fish are, of course, they're native to the Amazon, to the rainforest. And they're kind of, I would say, becoming sort of a posh fly target. Would you agree with that? I think, yeah. I, yeah. I only think because people want golden Dorado, but then they get there and, and they can't find the golden Dorado. They're like, oh, Paku are here. <laughs> so the guide's like, here you go. Catch one of these. I think that's fair. how that happened. Fair, fair. So if you don't know what they are, they, they look like a giant piranha. In fact, they might be related. I don't know that for sure, but they look like a big piranha. Um, but they have, instead of sharp piranha teeth, they have more human-like teeth. And they're vegetarians, right? Um, so guys on the fly, they catch them on like, you know, things that look like floating nuts and seeds and flowers and shit. Um, anyway, anyway, they're, they're also sometimes referred to as the ball cutter fish because they have been known to mistake the testicles of unfortunate swimmers for tree nuts in the water. And like, I've never heard that. Oh, really? I've never heard the, the testicle munching story yeah about dude Baku. yeah okay now here's the oh i've heard this a ton i'm i'm very shocked you've never heard that before me too um now <laughs> now how often does that really happen i'm guessing not that much like maybe a couple times right but like it was jeremy wade that basically built the entire river monsters franchise out of telling you it happens a hundred times a day you know what i mean it's like right. a psa like, Every 13.4 seconds, another man Watch loses one of his nuts to a Paku, right? But regardless, um, th- th- this is the thing that the media has latched onto, the, b- the ball cutting, which is why I'm shocked you haven't heard it. Uh, but here's where this story gets odd, okay? Uh, according to the story, the European Paku in question was caught by fisherman Einar Lindgren off the coast of Sweden. What? Right. And there's two very there's two very big things wrong with this. Paku were freshwater fish. That's number <laughs> yeah. one. That's a big one. That's, that's a big That's kind of big. That was the first big red flag waving out there, right? Um, but but also while I might buy a Paku being caught in like, I don't know, like the south of France or some river in, in southern Italy, perhaps, like Sweden, the maximum high temperature, because I researched at at midday in summer in Sweden is 73 degrees. So I, I find it hard to believe that a Paku would last in any water there, let alone salt water, which they cannot be in ever. Um, but I, I, also, I found this story in three places. Um, one ran a picture of a piranha, so that was totally out. And the other two, show they show a Paku, but they're clearly taken in South America. So I'm not seeing any photographic evidence of this, this alleged Swedish Paku. Uh, but wait, because they did bring in an expert in the story to tell us Absolutely nothing. So here's a quote. Uh, Henrik Karl from Denmark's Natural History Museum told local media the Paku is not normally dangerous to people, but it has quite a serious bite. There have been incidents in other countries where some men have had their testicles bitten off. Carl added that the Paku fishes are largely vegetarian and nip away at those in the water only because they are hungry. He said they bite because they're hungry and testicles sit nicely in their mouth. And I say, ah, Henrik, Henrik, you always, you always know just how to put things so us plebes oh. understand. So then the story just goes, goes on to make jokes about Swedish meatballs, or sweetie meaties, as I like right. to call them, yeah, and ends on something about kimono dragons being equally dangerous. So uh, great job ridding the frigid salt waters off Sweden of that one ball cutter, Einar Lindgren, who I don't think actually exists. 
So there's there's my second story, which hopefully we got a, we got a little laugh after the the piles of dead fish from that. Man, I've got to say we have we have dug up some absolutely horrendous fish journalism in mm-hmm. the nearly a year we've been doing this. That I one's up there. I think this one wins. <laughs> that one's up there. I think it's completely all, fabricated, all, dude. Like, I, don't I don't think any of that happened. I don't buy the ball biting thing to begin with, right? But I get that that's a that's a lore about these fish. Okay. Fine. Ball biting. But then you add in those other two completely implausible elements yeah. of a freshwater fish living in saltwater and a warm water fish living in frigid water. And then you get the poor dude from the Natural History Museum. You bait him into talking about how testicles fit so nicely in their mouths. Like that poor guy's career. I, I'm telling you, they had a dartboard, tarnished. they threw it, and they said it hit fish testicles Sweden, and they just went from there. Those, I, hope, <laughs> I actually hope that's true, because then it's creative. Those, those then were, I give them credit for it. Those were the three elements. Do you have another story today, or do you put it all I in don't. your roundup? I put, it, I put it all in my roundup. That's okay, all we got. All right. All right, so Phil, that's quite a roundup to go through. If you're feeling morbid today, Miles is the clear winner. <laughs> um, if you're feeling more jokey, I guess I'm your guy. But regardless, after we hear from Phil, we're actually going to do a fin clips, which once again brings more testicles into this podcast. You guys supplied the testicles. I'll supply the dick. So here I am to announce that the winner this week is Miles Nolte. I know you guys are saying it's impossible that this South American fish was found in Sweden, and I'm inclined to believe you. But sometimes I go to Burger King and I get an order of fries, and I find an onion ring in those fries. Magic is real, guys. It's all around us. And someday, if you're lucky, you might just find some of that magic off the coast of Sweden with its fish lips around your scrotum. As smallmouth baits go, Helgramites get a lot of attention. Matter of fact, we did an entire end the line segment about them many moons ago because those big, black, nasty, pinching Dobson fly larvae just have this uncanny ability to get eaten by a smallmouth, even in a place where you didn't know smallmouth existed. Crayfish are good for smallmouth, and of course, you can't really go wrong with a live shiner, but there's another bait that's talked about less often. In fact, I might call it somewhat hush-hush, that's closer in effectiveness to those Helgramites than a shiner or a crayfish could ever be. I'm talking about Mad Tom Catfish. When you talk about Mad Tom Catfish, or stone cats, as they're also called, you're not talking about one specific fish. These are members of the Ictaluridae family, which is the most species-rich family of catfish in North America. Now, if you're a science geek, you can spend all day breaking them down. Just to name a few, you've got the Mountain Mad Tom, Slender Mad Tom, Carolina Mad Tom, Elegant Mad Tom, Ozark Mad Tom, and the Brindled Mad Tom. Thing is, for the most part, you'd never be able to tell one apart from the other using what ichthyologists call meristic traits like the number of fins or scales, or morphometrics, which is a fancy way of saying size and shape of the body. Furthermore, because Mad Tom coloring is often dictated by its environment, the freckle belly mad tom you got might actually be a brown mad tom or a margin mad tom. Now, if there's anyone listening going, what the actual hell is he talking about? I fish. I know catfish, but I've never heard of a mad tom. Well, that's probably because you've never accidentally caught one. 
that would be extremely difficult unless you were micro-fishing because mad toms are super tiny. An absolute slob would measure eight inches, and you're not likely to bump into one at your favorite pay lake. Mad toms prefer moving water and can be found in everything from mighty rivers to tiny cricks, as long as there's a rocky bottom. Mad toms slip under rocks and slide into tiny crevices where they spend most of their day. These little fellers are nocturnal, so the best way to collect some for bait is to have a good old-fashioned rock flipping session with a dip net or seine net posted up downstream to catch whatever you kick up. Fun fact, though, be careful, because mad toms are slippery, slimy, and wriggly, and they have spines sharper than a hypodermic needle that will inject you with venom. You won't wind up in the hospital or anything, but you won't be happy for a while, and I know because I've been there, man. I've been there. I also once knew of a guy that was collecting mad toms and putting them in a Ziploc bag, which he then put in the front pocket of his shorts, which resulted in a mad time spine to the franks and beans. This may leave you wondering then, if they're all spiny and poisonous and shit, why do smallmouths pounce on them? And I really don't have an answer to that, but they do. I can't count the number of smallies I've caught that either spit up a mad tom or had one sticking out of its throat. And over the years, I've caught plenty of mad toms as bycatch while netting crayfish, but never really enough to fill up a bucket. So similarly to helgramites, using one is kind of like a rare treat. Also similar to helgramites, I can't recall if I've ever hung one under a float on a summer day and not had it get chowed by a bass. You will find some Mad Tom imitations available, but to the best of my knowledge, Gets Its Baby Blue Eyes Swimbait was the first specific Mad Tom imitator on the market. And I know it's pretty hard to find, and I also know it had a bit of a cult following, but I've never gotten anything to follow one of mine. Years ago, I snatched up a few packs when I bumped into them randomly and quickly lost all of them in the rocks while trying to slow crawl them to, you know, mimic a Mad Tom. Frankly, I think it's more fun trying to collect the real ones, and I'm a lot more confident that the real ones spines venom and all, will lead to a big bronze back faster than any anatomically correct mini catfish lure. You know, right, you know there's a bunch of streamer dudes out there right at this very moment <laughs> wondering like, how am I going to... How am I going to tie a mad dog? Like they're Googling mad dog anatomy and trying and to figure out it. how to make it. <laughs> and they found it, I guarantee, because it's already been done. Like, you know, those, oh. um, oh, those, those sculpin heads. Yeah. The flat. Yep. The, fish I've, skulls. I've seen fish skull. Yeah. It's the fish skull, but it's the sculpin the head. Flat like the one. Yeah, flat one. Yeah. 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 C-shit. Yeah. I've seen people tie in rubber legs in front of those to create whiskers. But honestly, mm. I, I don't know, man, I can't see that being any more effective than other streamers. Like I think mad toms are a rare forage. If this makes sense, that's just not worth trying to mimic perfectly. You know what I mean? Like fishing a brown tube or a yellow clouser in the rocks is sufficient. There's yep. no need to try and match one so precisely. But if you expose a real one, right, and that fish sees and smells a libe that's just, it's like it's not holed up under a rock. It's just floating around out there, like free for the taking. Mm -hmm. It's eight. It's just like how they can't pass up an exposed Helgramite. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah. Generally, I think like anatomically perfect bait fish and streamers are over overrated. Me general, too. Because they're Me moving too. fast. But I guess we can't help everyone out there figure out how to get more Mad Tom flies stuck in smiley faces, but we can, well, I say we, you can help with stripers. <laughs> I don't actually yeah. claim to know shit about stripers because I've, I've caught like two in my life, but we opened this episode talking about losing giant fish. So it, it only seems right that we close with a nugget of wisdom that will help prevent that from happening. 
Yeah, yeah. So we're going to finish out with uh, our Tackle Hacks segment this week. And uh, we're, we're bringing back our old pal, Bill Wetzel. Bill is a legendary surf fishing guide on Long Island. He leads people into the rocks and waves at night, uh, which we've both agreed is one of the toughest guide gigs on Early. the planet, you know, because you put yourself in such precarious positions, right? And, and Bill understands mm-hmm. the importance of making sure in those situations you've dotted every I so you don't lose that giant striper when it hits. Um, so I got to sit down with Bill for this tip and look, it may be coming to you from a, a salty Northeast surf dude, but I promise it has value wherever you chase stripers, snook, bull reds, perhaps even muskies. I'm getting hacked. Coming from inside the city. Hide the planet! So joining us again, uh, Bill Wetzel, surf guide extraordinaire from, from New York. And we've had you on for smooth moves on other shows that were just delightful. So as much as I just want you to tell us stories about crazy shit that's happened in the surf, um, you are also an incredibly knowledgeable angler in this scene. So... Uh, let's try a tackle hacks, man. You know, we're just looking for that sort of nugget of wisdom you've picked up or developed or, or something within in striper surf fishing that maybe you think guys don't think about enough or, or, or don't do something to just help people catch more fish. So uh, one of the t- things I tell a lot of people to do is, I mean, with, with the catch and release thing, a lot of people are starting to even use single hooks. But I still use a treble in the front and a treble in the back. I feel like uh, I drop less fish doing that. With plugs we're talking about, right? Yeah, yeah with plugs. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I just fish plugs. And I fish live eels as well. But I don't do any dead sticking or anything like that. So one of the things I tell people is to crush your barbs in the rear. And immediately when I tell people that, they say, oh, for the bluefish? I go, no, for the striped bass. And for the bluefish too, if you get in a bite, it's easier. But what, what a bass does, he'll hit the front of the plug usually, right? Mm-hmm. And then the rear of the plug will get caught in the side or depending on how big the bass is, maybe his like lower lip. And hopefully that plug that Steve Barb will get that initial hook set. And then as he's fighting, will come out. Now, when it does that, he only has the front hook in his mouth and it, it helps for him not to get leverage on the plug. And then if they get leverage on your plug, they're going to spit the plug. You know what I mean? Gotcha. So you're saying if you only have those front trebles in the fish's mouth and you're pulling against just a very well-set front treble, you have a better shot of landing a big fish than if you're also pulling awkwardly because that rear treble is in the face somewhere, the gills, the lower lip. Right. Because they'll get, you know, they'll get leverage on your plug. And, you know, that's how, uh, you know, you'll straighten out your hooks. I don't care what kind of hook you have. They'll straighten it out, especially a big fish. You know, they'll straighten out the hook. This is a game for for, for for this cult where you put in hours and years and, and months looking for those big fish. So I think it's fair to say that small tips like that make a difference. Like this is one where you don't know when you're going to get that big fish shot again. So every duck should be in a row for this fishery. It's the tiny things, man. It's the tiny, tiny things. And some of the tiny people overthink some things and they spend so much time on overthinking that they're not, you know, and they're not fishing. You know what I mean? You know, just go out there and fish, man. That's it. Use you use plugs. You learn all the plugs out there. Learn learn when to use them, when not to use them. Learn how they work. You know, do it in comp situations, rough situations. You know, all kinds of situations. Tell you got tell you learn that plug. Learn it, and then move on to the next plug if you're just starting out. You know, it's going to take you a few years. It's not freaking internet overnight shit. You know what I mean? So 
So that's it for this week. To recap all the trophies that uh, didn't get away, Miles landed himself a visit to the doctor to get his hearing checked. We filled a cooler with a killer bait that might sting you in your naughty bits, beached facts about one treble hook being better than two, and hung replica mounts of our shame and suffering up for the uh, internet to enjoy. <laughs> <laughs> that we did. That we did. Enjoy. Uh, speaking of which, if you've got a shameful or awkward fishing photo that you're willing to own up to, send it to bent at meter.com so we can ridicule you publicly. We can Please. all do this together. We're also <laughs> always accepting bar nominations, sale bin items, questions, concerns, hot tips, and cold ridicule. Uh, if you send us any of those and we use them on the show, you get a sticker pack. Of course, you can also score that by using those Degenerate Angler and Bent Podcast hashtags on Instagram. If we repost something with those tags that uh, that you posted, your sticker. And if you happen to post a picture of a slob fish you caught with a guide, tag him or her too, because you're obviously a good listener. You ever get that feeling the walls closing in, the concrete jungle suffocating you? You crave some wide open spaces, the chance to connect with nature, maybe in a spot all your own. Well, head over to land.com. They've got ranches, forests, mountains, streams, you name it. Search by acreage. You can search by location. You can search by the kind of hunting and fishing you're dreaming of. Land.com. It is where the adventure begins. Hey, we're going to take a little break here and talk about interstate batteries. Now, if you're like me, enjoying the great outdoors, you need gear that is as reliable as it gets. That's why I power my adventures with interstate batteries. I use interstate batteries in my boats. I use interstate batteries in my camper. Great for your truck, too. From Alaska to Montana, they're outrageously dependable. Battery is essential. With over 150,000 dealer locations, finding one is easy. For all your vehicles, land or sea, choose Interstate. Head to interstatebatteries.com and find your power today.